This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. Today is our April edition of Incentives and Instincts, a recurring series in which I speak with economist and friend Bryce Ward about some of the broader challenges facing our society. Bryce, how are you today? I'm good, Justin. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, today we're going to dig into the perplexing and inconvenient reality that uh, Americans appear to be dying much younger than our counterparts in other advanced economies. It's a complicated landscape with many interrelated variables. To start, Bryce, let's um, describe the problem. We hear a lot in the news about declining mortality in the United States, but it's multidimensional. What's your best view of the data as you see it? Let's just start with the description, right? So life expectancy. It's been lower than other developed countries in the U.S. for a long time, and that gap has grown over time. Mm -hmm. And what do you mean by a long time? 30, 40 years, right? So it used to be that we were all kind of in the same relative boat. Mm -hmm. And ours got better and theirs got better, but they got better at a faster rate. Sure. And then starting about a decade ago, things plateaued in most places, but Mm -hmm. we plateaued at a you know lower level and then started actually receding slightly. Uh, and then COVID comes and causes a big dr- decline. Right. But even after you take out what we think are COVID deaths, life expectancy is dropping in the United States and dropping yeah. actually by a lot. You know, the gap is now three, four years, right? So um, the average American expects to make it to kind of 78 and the average European is in their low 80s. That's just the basic descriptive fact. Right? There is this gap in life expectancy. It has grown over time, and it has grown a lot. You know, the gap has increased by a lot recently. So that, that I think that's, that's the first descriptive fact. And other countries experienced a COVID-related decline, but not to the magnitude of the United States, right? Ours was substantially larger okay. than not every country, but m- many other countries, we had a much larger covid decline than other people. But you know, I think for the most part, we're going to take COVID out of this discussion. Sure. And let's focus on the bigger structural issues that drive this. And, you know, and then, so the next layer of facts is this isn't about old people. Right. Right. It's not so much that people live longer, it's that they die earlier, right? Exactly. Right. So if you basically say, well, what's life expectancy or what's the mortality rate above, say, 80? Mm-hmm. It's a little higher than other places, but it's pretty much kind of in line. But if you're at 30, you have four times greater risk of dying each year. In the United States. In the United States relative to peer countries, wow. right? You know, and the scary way that this was put in this article in the FT where we're getting all of this. Financial Times. Financial yeah. Times by John Byrne Murdoch. So one in 25 American and five-year-olds doesn't make it to 40. The The rate in, 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 in peer countries is, you know, yeah, it's 25% of one, you know, it's four times higher sure. than 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 we're seeing. So, if you're looking at seventy five year olds, yeah, it's basically the same, right? You know, so if, if if you can make it past, make it into old age, I'm sure people we could have a long discussion about problems with old age and care for old people sure. and healthcare yep. and all that kind of stuff. But if you're trying to understand the gap in life expectancy, it's what's happening to people in younger ages is that's where the story is, and that's what this article basically you know, kind of highlights is that there's this, just this enormous gap that opens at young ages. It applies throughout the income distribution. 
right? So, you know, the, the article compares the U.S. And the, to, to England and it looks at the entirety of the income distribution. And basically, like, you know, if you are super rich in the United States and super rich typically means like 400,000, the life expectancy for people at that income is basically on par with the top of the distribution in England. Okay. But the entire rest of the distribution, right? So the median American, you know, it's it's basically a five-year gap. They also looked at it by – they actually have these data by community in England. Mm-hmm. And life expectancy in the United States is worse than the poorest, most deprived mm-hmm. community in England. So let's just draw that out. Life expectancy across the United States is on par with the poorest community in England. Yeah, the place with the lowest life expectancy – and which is a, a huge outlier in England, right? I mean, it is, you think of that bell curve and you think of, you know, that two, three standard deviations from right. the mean. We used to be better than them, but we have trended down over the, again, this past decade to where we're basically equivalent, you know, and that's the U.S. as a whole, right? If you go find pockets in the U.S., right, the figure in the, in the articles from West Virginia, you know, it's well below. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. Essentially, this is our issue, right? We have declining life expectancy relative to what we had a few years ago and relative to what is happening in other countries, we're getting worse. It's applying throughout the income distribution. And in particular, it is driven by things that are happening at early ages. Right. So we are particularly bad at getting our citizens to age 40 is one way of looking at it. Yeah. You know, and we're moderately bad at getting them from 40 to 75. But once we get you to 75, you're all right. Uh, You know, maybe a little bit less than 75. But like, you know, so yeah, so that's basically, that's the issue, right? Is, well, why are we so bad at keeping people alive from birth until midlife? Okay. So given that as a description of the problem, Let's start to go through some of the reasons that we know are drivers here. There are so many, and some of them are interrelated. Let's start with an obvious one, and that's guns. The, the reason guns are so deadly in the United States might be a little bit surprising to some. We hear so much about you know, mass shootings and school shootings, and those are terrible things, and they're uniquely American things, but they don't tend to drive this all-cause mortality decline to the extent people think. It's more things like suicide by gun. That's a huge problem, but it's driven by uh, availability of guns. The data is very clear. You know, suicide rates and gun ownership rates are highly correlated. Mm-hmm. And it's not hard to put the theory together, which is that if you want to kill yourself, other methods have a high failure rate. Yeah. Gun does not. I don't, I can't remember off the top of my head the share of gun deaths that are suicide, but it, if I recall correctly, it is a large majority of I think of it's them. something like 40%. Yeah, you know, large share of them, you know. And then, you know, I mean, yeah, the other, the other gun deaths aren't good either. No. And, you know, to the extent that, you know, you're dealing with elevated homicide, uh, you know, or from other gun deaths or even accidental gun deaths, you know, it all factors in. But, but yeah, the, the availability of guns, particularly with respect to suicide, is a big driver of the share of the gap that is firearm deaths. And, you know, and again, it's, it's important to know. I mean, like, it can be hard to parse this precisely, but homicide, suicide, gun deaths 
the gap there, you know, if we took those out, mm-hmm. it gets rid of about 12% of the mortality gap. Okay. So, you know, it's substantial. Yeah. But even if we got rid of all of that gap, we would still have some big issues. Call it 10%. We'll say it's, you know, roughly 10% of of the gap is we have access to something that is an extremely efficient means of ending life. Mm-hmm. And so this 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 variable of guns is it equally distributed across the population in the United States? Uh, no, no, you have enormous geographic concentration, okay. right? Okay. Like, you know, I mean the both homicide and suicide deaths are strongly correlated with gun ownership rates. Sure. Right. So in places where you don't have a lot of guns, you have less. You right. know, now I think every place in America has a lot more guns than some of these peer places do. Sure. Within the US there is substantial variation in gun ownership rates and those gun ownership rates, you know, I mean you hear lots of politically, you hear lots of talk about, you know, oh, the high murder rate in these, you know, blue cities, you know, the murder rates in Florida are substantially higher than the murder rates in New York City. Okay. Why? Because there are more guns in Florida than there are in New York City, mm-hmm. right? The murder rates in Louisiana, if I, last time I looked at it, they were the, they were the winner, uh, but it's Louisiana, Mississippi, you know, these are the places where you have highest gun death rates. Um, so the correlation between gun rates and firearm deaths is very strong and not hard to imagine why that those things would go together. And obviously, our peer nations do not have the right to bear arms as something codified into their constitutions. But let's move on to the next possible cause or next cause. And uh, one of those is drugs. We've talked about this in various uh, ways on on this show. We've we've de- described it as deaths of despair. I think attributable that term attributable to. Angus Deaton, is that right? Yeah, Anne Case and Angus Deaton, who are part-time Montana residents. Oh, I did not uh, know that. Yeah, they, uh, they're they both at Princeton, but they when they are not at Princeton, so i.e. outside of the school year, uh, they are fishing in Madison County. They coined the term deaths of despair, right. you know, five, six years ago, mm-hmm. uh, kind of at the, when we started to note that the, the, this trend in life expectancy had stopped going up and was starting to flatline and then start to go down. And, yeah. you know, the, the, the broad category of deaths of despair, it's alcohol- drugs, and then the suicide ones also then filter in here. So the firearm deaths that are suicides are also- Sure, it's all part of this stew. General part of general part of this stew. And yeah, you know, that's another big portion, you know, just drugs and alcohol, that's about 20% of the gap. Uh, you know, the fact that we have this opioid crisis uh, and the deaths related to that, you know, we have a lot of uh, deaths from alcohol related, you know, either direct alcohol poisoning or things that are clearly- downstream of alcohol. And so, yeah, that's that's another big part of our story. And these are really complex factors. I mean, it's not just that Americans use more drugs. It's a question of access. It's a question of what that access looks like. Is it illicit? Is it um, supported by our economic models or policies such that corporations can make drugs widely available and we have a system that does that it's 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 kind of hard to attribute to a single factor yeah you know but the the framing deaths of despair clearly puts it on a, as a demand side phenomenon right, right? it's that you know other actually, countries, draw, draw that out what do you mean by yeah demand so side essentially phenomenon? you know so there's two two parts right so you know it's is it available right but drugs are available worldwide to some degree and we may have them more available. They may be cheaper. They may be even easier to access. You know, there may be issues on the supply side here as well. But the framing, deaths of Depair, basically says, well, it's because 
something pushed me into consuming these things or doing these things, which ultimately harmed me. We'll be back to my conversation with Bryce Ward after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Hi, I'm Nora Sachs. I'm the host and reporter of Richest Hill, a podcast from Montana Public Radio, and you're listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to A New Angle. I'm here with Bryce Ward discussing why the United States is so deadly. So according to this Deaths of Despair framing, you know, Americans are demanding drugs at a different rate than other cultures. Yeah, I think that's the idea is that there's something in the economy or society or culture that is a proportion of the population is struggling to cope with. Yeah. And the coping mechanism is a broken coping mechanism, which is turned to something which is, again, for at least some people, ultimately self-destructive. That's a useful framing for thinking about it. But in terms of what actually is causing it, you know, how much chicken and egg here is, it? you know, that's that's harder to get into. Mm-hmm. And because it's so widespread, but it's not ubiquitous, it's it's difficult to find an exact story that matches the data precisely that allows us to say, aha, this is what's really this is about. You know, so there, it's an ongoing debate as, you know, in terms of, yeah, how much of this is because of economic system problems and how much of this is because of broken uh, social capital and, you know, lack of connection and how much of this is. And, you know, ultimately, my guess is that it's a recipe that includes all of the ingredients. Sure. And hence, it's hard to parse them out because Mm -hmm. they are interrelated by themselves. You know, they're not just independent. It's not just, oh, there's this. And that causes this, and then there's this, and that. It's like, well, there's this and this, and you put them together, and you get new magic, or in this case, you know, bad magic. And so, you know, it's not an easy question to untangle in terms of getting a nice causal mechanism that social scientists like. But, you know, the patterns that we observe in terms of it tends to be concentrated in particular subpopulations and particular ages, and it certainly seems related to this collection of ingredients. And again, to the extent that these are some of these are unique ingredients in the United States. For instance, we do allow more economic inequality. That distribution of life expectancy comparing England to the United States, you know, one of the things you will notice is you know, that the England distribution is much narrower. Much tighter. Yeah. Right? It is lower, the whole thing. But, the, you know, the U.S. distribution is much wider and it kind of expands to this very high level and down to this very low level. And so, you know, that, that may play a role. But then there's also just... You know, things we've talked about, you know, in various past episodes, just you know, people aren't, we're struggling to connect with other people and struggling to find happiness and meaning. And, and, and in those things, you know, they also play a role. And it's not just, I don't think it's just an economic story. I think it's a, it has to do with, you know, the structures in society that are allowing us to connect with others and ultimately be healthy. These, this particular category, it's, it's self-destructive. Right. So ultimately, it has to do with something about the individual and the support that they're receiving uh, and how they're processing the world that, again, we have more of it than other places. So we clearly have to have there's clearly something that's different here. Exactly what? Yeah. Hard to figure out. Hard to figure out. And as a result, it's hard to create policy or legislation around because um, 
that's just kind of the way our system is designed, or at least it's the way our system is executed at the yeah. moment. Do we know how big a contributor to the gap, to the mortality gap that this- That's this 20%, fa- I think. About you 20%. Know, about 20%. Okay. Let's move on to the third cause on our list, and that is cars, automobiles. Americans drive more. We have less restrictive traffic policies, speed limits, and so forth. We've arranged our cities and workplaces of work around commuting and driving. Spend more time in a car. Car's a dangerous thing. You're more likely to die in a car accident. Fairly simple, but it's all sort of a function of design in many ways. Yeah, and you know, and we also have bigger cars. We drive more. We drive just to get basic places. You know, we spend a lot more of our life in cars than you know the average European who may live in a relatively dense, ancient city. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, you know, again, it's, it's not hard to understand this, right? Europe was built before cars. <laughs> they had to impose the car into a system, a, a, a society that was already there. Most American cities, particularly in the West, were built after cars, yeah. you know, or most of their population growth occurred after cars. And just a basic geography, too. You've got in Europe a lot more people and a lot less land. In the United States, uh, fewer people and more land. Things are just more spread out by, by design. Yeah, so we're going to, you know, drive around more. Uh, it is, you know, it doesn't have to be inherent. We can choose to change it or whatever it is. But, uh, you know, in the, within the given confines of society, we drive more and as a result cars didn't stop being deadly they are safer than they were a long time ago but they are still have immense power to end life and yeah. you know they do and they're not safer than walking or riding your bike or taking public transportation and some of that's an availability issue i mean many folks would have the ambition or the choice to do that if they could but you know it's just not available to many folks yeah okay Factor four, diet and exercise. We hear a lot about the obesity epidemic in the United States. It is real. And is it unclear that it has an impact on the, the sort of likelihood of getting to 40? It seems like it's a, it's a factor that might um, take a, a more acute effect later in life. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. Um, you know, I haven't looked at that. The thing that I've been looking at to do the calculations, it's still just the whole life expectancy, okay. right? And what we're going to call cardiometabolic diseases, yeah, right, are about equal to all of those other things combined in terms of explaining the wow. U.S. gap. So if it, if the gap is five years, two and a half of those years are attributable to cardiometabolic diseases, and the other two and a half years to all the other things. Yeah. Uh, well, you know the the things there there's still some unexplained. Sure. Gap, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. But you know, so essentially we've got take the drugs violence road, and that's. 35% of, you know, call it a third of the gap. And then cardiometabolic diseases by themselves are a third wow. of the gap. And then we have another third. That sure. I don't even know where we're going to go with that. But again, whether which, how much of that is for this young people, it's got to be some because, you know, it's showing up at the end, right? But um, yeah, I haven't seen it parsed exactly. But yeah, I mean, it's not good regardless. It's certainly a big part of, you know, what appears to be the gap between the U.S. and other countries is diet, exercise. Yeah, there could be genetic things in here as well. You of course. Know, uh, you, know, you know, we are not genetically identical to these other countries either. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's a, it's a big source of life expectancy gaps, you know, at least writ large. Next variable we'll talk about is 
healthcare. So Americans like to think we have the best healthcare in the world. We spend perhaps the most per capita on healthcare. Fact check me on that. Is that right? Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, we spend as a share of GDP. Yeah, we are. I mean, there may be some tiny country out there that's competing with us, but you know, amongst the main kind of OECD type countries, generally we're two to three times above anybody else. Sure, and, and we, as we described it earlier, like once you get to seventy-five, you're you're in pretty good shape relative to other countries, peer countries. The question is, are you going to get to seventy-five? Are you going to get to forty? You know, I think probably Americans' interaction with the healthcare system pre-age forty is certainly less than it is post-age forty, typically. But how is the healthcare system affecting this this mortality gap? As you think about it, it certainly matters. We have because of the Affordable Care Act, we now have a couple of pretty high quality, almost random or as if random, allocations of health insurance. The first had to do with a letter that got randomly sent out to people telling them that they were qualified for things on the exchanges. And the other is just Medicaid expansion. And both of those things appear to reduce mortality by relatively significant amounts, right? So access to health insurance and then therefore the healthcare system. And I don't know why this should surprise us. It shouldn't. It matters. Yeah. Right? And, and what is the mechanism with the access to insurance? You're just more likely to consume a healthcare resource if, if you have insurance. Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there is a enormous consumption effect, you know, uh, so there's this survey called the Medicare Medical Panel Expenditure Survey, right? So okay. we can track the same person over time and literally ask them about healthcare spending. And so we can see, like, you got health insurance. Sure. And then how much do you spending do you generate? Mm-hmm. And it's a lot. So when you don't have health insurance, you skip a lot of care. And that's fine if you didn't need any care. But to the extent that you're not managing something that, you know, is long-term or chronic, uh, you're not treating something that was acute that could have been treated and, you know, but then becomes chronic and then deadly, you know, all of those things matter. And therefore- And you're not, you're not participating in preventative care in the same way that you might be if you had more regular access. You're missing early diagnosis of things, you know, you're all missing of all of it, right? And so certainly access to healthcare has an effect on health. As we just talked about, you know, I mean, a lot of times when you used to criticize the American healthcare system, you would say, well, life expectancy is really low and we spend a lot. The healthcare system is not the primary determinant of road deaths and you know maybe some of the drug and alcohol stuff could have been mitigated sure. with a better healthcare system uh, maybe some of the gun deaths could have been mitigated with a better healthcare system so it's not independent of it mm-hmm. but there is a whole host it is not just exclusively like when you're sick you don't get better when you're sick in the United States you typically get better at the same rate as anybody else if you're being treated right and for certain things particularly certain cancers if you're getting treated, you're going to get treated better here yeah. than you would uh, in other places. So it is not a uniform like, oh, the U.S. system cannot deliver health. Uh, we can deliver a lot of health. We spend a lot of money and we can, if you are able to access the system, particularly if you have a lot of money to access the system, yes. you can buy yourself very good health care in the United States. Yeah, at the upper end, you're going to get the best care for any particular ailment. It's just a question of can you get access to that? And we should note that the United States is the only 
uh, of the peer nations that does not have are we the only of the peer nations that, that does not have a nationalized healthcare system not everybody says a nationalized healthcare system they have a you know most places have at least some form of single payer insurance that is ex- more expansive than medicare mm-hmm. and medicaid are in the united states but uh, there are a couple, I think Switzerland and you know a few Asian countries where private insurance is still the thing, but it's kind of it's more done through subsidy. And, okay, you know, so it's not fully you know. So the UK is nationalized healthcare, right? So they yes. have an actually you know formally state-run healthcare system. Most places have Medicare, but for everyone. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's just health insurance. So there's is, a public option. Yeah, there's just a public provider of health insurance. And then where the gaps are is basically on you know how generous is the public payer um, or the public provider, and then what's being topped up in a private market. You can get healthcare in England outside of the national health yeah. insurance, yeah. you know, the NHS, right? It's just, you know, it's not, you know, because it's not the main system of provision it's limited mm-hmm. you know and the same thing holds for you know you know yeah you if whatever canadian health insurance doesn't cover it like well you can still like access health care in other ways like particularly you can get on a plane and fly to the united states and right pay for it out of pocket right um or buy some other secondary insurance product so you know there's you know but we are different yes in that uh, in terms of just the share of people who lacked health insurance, and we've driven that down a ton mm-hmm. uh, in the past decade, but we are different in that we have less health insurance. You know, we have more barriers to accessing healthcare sure. than other places, and therefore it is a plausible contributor to the gap in mortality. So that largely exhausts the reasons for this mortality gap that we know of. There is a, a mystery portion of this, and uh, there's a lot more to the reasons why and why they're uniquely American. We're going to tackle that next month um, because this is a big topic. We're going to make this a two-parter. But um, Bryce, thanks for the description today. And listeners, stay tuned for next month where we try to pull the lens back and, and understand why America seems to be um, more deadly than other countries. Yeah, uh, you know, stay tuned for uh – exciting discussion of you know deaths of abundance and freedom yeah it's it's a great way to start your summer folks so uh happy trails (laughs) thanks for listening to a new angle we really appreciate it and we're coming to you from studio 49 a generous gift from um alums michelle and lauren hansen A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. Keely Larson is our producer. VTO, Jeff Amet, and John Wicks made our music. Editing by Nick Mott. Social media by AJ Williams. And Jeff Neese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.